Welcome to What a Scream, the horror movie podcast where I, your host, Grey, chats with a special guest about horror films. And we talk about two films that have to do with a certain subject they've previously randomly chosen. So this week, my special guest is Luke Dunn from Film in Dublin here in Ireland. And we are going to be talking about ghosts in horror. And we are going to be chatting about 1977's The Sentinel, as well as 2014's Last Shift. So enjoy this little chat about ghosties. So I would like to welcome to What a Scream, Luke Dunn. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I mean, we've had good conversations in the past uh, over the horror movies and different kinds of movies. And you've done great stuff for, for me before, for the Pretty Deadly Films zine. So I was delighted to, to, to do something for you for this podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's it's great to finally have you on um so would you like to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and what you do yeah so i'm luke dunn and i'm the founder i suppose and the main writer for the irish uh website film in dublin.ie so we started in 2016 uh, to kind of cover reviews and news and to do film festival coverage and bits and bobs like that Originally just within Dublin, but kind of as the years have gone on, we've kind of branched out here and there to other bits of the island. Um, and yeah, um, we, we we try to cover everything that's going on in the fair city of film, as I aggressively brand it, and elsewhere. <laughs> um, because I, I feel like for, for, for a small island, there's always kind of, there's always so many like little festivals going on or little yeah. events and like we have a strong industry considering the size of the island uh, and even since we started the site that's only grown more and more but I remember like even when we started the site a lot of what I would have been going to originally would have been small horror festivals mm. uh, like women in horror month uh, that, that Sarah Louise Elliott would have organized in, in Dublin and, and, and stuff like that those would have been kind of some of the, the 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 main stuff that we would have covered originally just because i think the horror community is it has that can-do spirit and it has that real enthusiasm to share stuff which is great for film festivals you know yeah exactly and now with kind of irish horror having a bit of a a boom internationally as well as i guess like irish cinema as a whole it seems to be really kind of having a moment and finally getting its fair dues um, it's nice to see kind of well from my perspective Irish horror reach uh, a more international audience um, yeah totally because I think that Irish people as storytellers we have a grand tradition of like the scared of a Jesus out of each other <laughs> um, and you would you weren't always necessarily seeing that reflected in the kinds of movies that were getting made here mm. it was kind of the kind of movies that you could get funded and you could get made regardless of the quality of them, they were telling specific kinds of stories to yeah. sell to specific kinds of markets. Whereas now, like you've got filmmakers like Kate Dowling and like Lee Cronin and these tapping into kind of Irish mythology and Irish history and stuff like that to 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 make great movies, which is it's really exciting to see. 
Mm. Um, so how did you get into horror and what was the first horror film you ever saw? I was a late bloomer for horror, to be honest with you, because as a child, I was a coward. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I was an easily upset child. Um, I was very delicate. And I think what put me off horror movies for a long time was like, I didn't want to see anything bad happen to people. <laughs> you know, it's not even it's not it wasn't even so much the 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 fear of something like scaring me. It was like seeing bad things happen to people. Yeah. And it was really off putting to me. Uh, and I was I was trying to think of this for this podcast in terms of like what when I would have actually started watching horror and stuff like that. And what I was thinking was it was probably reverse engineered to an extent from scary movie <laughs> and like scary movie too yeah. which like i i would have been kind of coming into my my teenage years at the real height of their popularity and you're seeing all these these movies being referenced i mean i think i think for the target audience it didn't matter what they were referencing uh but in addition to being a cowardly child, I was also like a very curious child, I guess. So you'd be like, I don't really get <laughs> what, what these scenes are coming from and stuff like that. So I kind of would have been curious then about the likes of like Scream or The Exorcist or all these kind of films that they would have been referencing. But I think that, so that would have got me kind of more curious about her. But I think that the first horror movie that I fully properly watched on my own would have been Carrie. Hmm. I remember I'd have been like 13 or 14 and it was on late at night one Halloween and like my parents would have been having a party or something so they were preoccupied so I just stayed up quite late watching it and I think that it was kind of a funny experience because you have that like thing of like oh yeah this is this is scary like I always imagined these movies would be but also I'm not like dying <laughs> like, I'm okay <laughs> like we can get through this <laughs> you know yeah. and the I remember the ending of Carrie because I you know you, you've seen like references to, to movies like that hundreds of times before you actually see the thing itself yeah. but I remember the ending of Carrie with the hand shooting yeah. up out of the, the grave I don't think I had seen that reference before mm. I wasn't expecting it and having that like big like whoa thing like come right at the end and you kind of have that it's like how it clicks for you then like in terms of what it what it what it what it does and what's fun about it you know because you're like you're realizing after you see that that you don't feel in danger <laughs> like you feel like <laughs> exhilarated yeah and yeah I think that kind of that kind of really sparked that curiosity to be like because obviously that's like a, a well-known classic already. So then you're, you're, you're digging out the other classics and then you're kind of getting into new releases and stuff from there. You know, I was, I was horror pilled, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I have um quite a similar experience with Carrie. Um, I had this boyfriend in college and he had a, it makes it sound really dodgy, but he had like this hard drive full of movies and it was stuff. <laughs> it was like stuff that like you wouldn't have found stuff like necromantic and like fucked up shit like that but on it was Carrie and I was like I've never seen Carrie before you know I used to read a lot of Stephen King when I was a teenager and I put it on and I didn't know about that last scene and I have never jumped so hard out of my own skin 
as that last <laughs> scene like and it's just stuck in my brain now um so yeah i have quite a soft spot for carrie um so our theme of this week is ghosts um which i guess is like one of the oldest tropes of horror even when we go back to like literature there and folklore it's always been ghosts um so what is your opinion of ghost horror supernatural horror i mean i think it's i think it's a classic for a reason right i think it's 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 a very simple way of telling a story that regardless of your age or your culture or even like you can be a huge horror head or you can be somebody that doesn't like that kind of story at all and you can still be hooked by it. Like people, there, there are a lot of people that are put off by horror as a genre because of gore or because of whatever. They're not into supernatural stuff. But ghosts as a concept are like just that bit closer on the spectrum between supernatural and like unsolved yeah. <laughs> mysteries kind of a thing. They always really hook people in. And I think the the element of ghost stories where it's like they have a mystery element to them mm-hmm. um i think that that's something that 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 can really compel people and like you know a lot of horror movies get great mileage out of their metaphors and stuff but mm-hmm. ghosts you can kind of you can kind of go your own way with ghost stories it can it could be a very obvious metaphor or it could be spooky ghost yeah you know? they they can kind of hook you either way yeah I like I when I was little I was terrified of ghosts and now looking back I'm like obviously being like a hardcore horror fan I'm like they're probably the least offensive horror out there like if you ever met a real ghost you'd be like well there's a ghost like it can most of the time it can't hurt you like if we think about like traditional ghost stories um, well I I think that's another thing where when I was a kid I was you know as I say a little coward and it would have been like say I would have ran the scouts mm. and like the older kids would tell a ghost story and like your proper like god because <laughs> like, it's always told through that lens of like oh yeah and this actually happens by the way yeah you yeah know? whereas I have a very casual relationship with ghosts now it's, I, I don't know that I believe in ghosts per mm. se but like I'm renting in a very old apartment or a house rather uh, yeah. it's over 100 years old and when you hear a bit of rattling, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the ghosts. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we actually had, so in Dublin, there's there's sometimes these ghost story sharing nights mm-hmm. uh, on at the Workmen's Club. And it's like people will go and sit in a big circle and tell all their ghost stories. This might be a bit of crack, like, well, a few of my housemates went to that to share the story of the ghost that we think lives in, in yeah in <laughs> it's old with i mean is it just wind coming in through our chimney that we don't use probably but <laughs> equally is it a a baby separated from its, its parents that has unfinished business and lingers <laughs> on in our pipes like who's to say like it could be either or unfinished baby business <laughs> unfinished, well babies have so much business unfinished so statistically probably most ghosts are babies (laughs) the world is just full of baby ghosts yeah i so we lived when i was younger we lived in like a farmhouse but it wasn't that old but i swear we had a ghost a cat ghost ghost cat whatever you want to call it 
because I'd always just see this cat everywhere and I'd be like, where's my cat? And then realize my cat is right beside me. And I'm like, so I fully believe that I was haunted by a ghost cat. Um, and I think I saw a ghost in Forbidden Planet once, but that could have been a lost comic book nerd <laughs> <laughs> at the back of the comic book stacks. I don't know. I believe it was a ghost. <laughs> it's a place I believe that there would be ghosts. Right, yeah. I mean, those builders are quite old, so... Dublin, I think, in general, is I think it's a ghost-friendly town. You know? <laughs> All those old Georgian buildings, they're poorly maintained. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I mean, so much Irish kind of storytelling is... It's all tragic endings and, yeah. you know, kind of ships in the night and people not being able to connect with their loved ones before they go off to America forever and all that kind of thing. So it just lends itself to ghosts, you know, like every yeah. coastline has a ghost waiting for somebody to come back. <laughs> every house has something rattling around in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like as well, it's like with, say, um, tarot stuff or or um horoscopes and i think these kind of i think i think myth mythology and 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 kind of supernatural stuff is well rooted in ireland as well like fairy stuff and 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 all that kind of thing and it's like i think that the the human compulsion to explain things runs deeper than the human compulsion to explain things accurately Mm, (laughs) which is why i feel very comfortable going oh yeah it's a ghost like somebody might like push up their glasses and go oh well that's illogical i was like i don't care like this is the ghost <laughs> so therefore i stop going what is that noise so yeah it's fine it works for me yeah. it categorizes it i'm comfortable with it the ghost is comfortable with it everyone's everyone's happy yeah yeah what do you think it is that makes ghosts such good fodder for horror do you think it's like fear of the unknown fear of the afterlife etc cetera, etc cetera? I think that if that it's that fear of the unknown, I think that's what contrasts them from other like movie monsters, if you like, mm. like vampires and, and, and stuff like that, because it tends to be in ghost stories, especially some of the best ones in, in movies and stuff like that. You, it's never a well-adjusted person shows up <laughs> to the old house, yeah. you know, who's had no secrets in their life and nothing bothering them and, and everything's going great and they're haunted by ghosts. Yeah. You know, I think like a haunting on Blind Manor and, and, and stuff like that, it, 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 I think it reconnected people to that idea that people who are haunted by something are then also haunted by ghosts. Mm. I mean, that that goes back to, you know, like Allan Poe, that goes back to everything, really. Yeah, yeah. And they don't even have to be explicitly connected. Like it doesn't have to be the ghost of mm. the person that you killed and buried on the floorboards. <laughs> it just has to be the idea that there's something not sitting right with you, and therefore you are attuned to mm. something that's 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 putting its reach out there. I think both of the films that that we're talking about today kind of have have kind of elements of that in it mm. uh but yeah i think i think we relate to the experience of being haunted by something mm-hmm. uh, and then when that starts to feel more literal or more physical whether that's because we hear rattling in our pipes or because the actual things that are pressuring us become more present and more pressurized yeah it's not a very pleasant feeling, yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think it's something that people always 
I think it, I think it, it hooks people in because mm. they relate to the feeling of being haunted by something. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's uh, kick off then with your choice of film. Would you like to introduce it and give us a synopsis, please? Yes. So the the film that I picked for today is a film from 1977, I think, and it is called The Sentinel. It's one of the nicer tree line blocks in New York and only 20 minutes from the center of town. Oh, and just around the corner, there's a supermarket and the cleaners. That's Father Harron in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? There is danger everywhere. There is evil, evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Halloran, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorin becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Halloran dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. I call This is a movie directed by Michael Winner, who I think is probably best known for doing most of the um the charles bronson movies um what are they called he's gone around he's getting revenge he's killing everybody <laughs> um, uh death wish death wish okay. two and death wish three he did he did a bunch of these uh he did an adaptation of the big sleep uh with robert mitchum as well he's kind of this british director kind of work for hire kind of thing i think death wish is what he's mainly known for but he would have done this movie, The Sentinel, in and around the same time as a lot of classic kind of foundational 70s horrors like The Omen, say, or Don't Look Now. Mm-hmm. And I think this is somewhat of, of an attempt to, to, to do a story in that mold. Whether it does so successfully, I don't know. <laughs> but... But I, 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 it's one I had seen a few years ago, and it really interests me, uh, just because I, I don't, I don't think I told you the cast when I was telling you I, I picked this movie. No. But when you look through the cast, it's like Chris Sarandon is is one of the main stars in it. It's got John Carradine in it. It's got Ava Gardner. It's got Burgess Meredith. It's got Eli Wallach. It's like all these recognizable names, and I think when you see kind of a star-studded like cast like that in a movie that you've never heard of like, what is this and uh oh actually i remember what what actually then compelled me to go i must check this down and i watch it because i heard the title i'd seen that cast mm-hmm. it was like our movie from the 70s i was like okay sounds cool and then i saw a screenshot of it on twitter and the screenshot was of a cat in a birthday hat <laughs> <laughs> With like a red cravat, <laughs> like this cute black and white cat having a birthday party, and it said like the Sentinel, nineteen seventy-seven, and I was like, okay, now I've got to watch this. Yeah. Uh, the Sentinel is about this uh, young model. Uh, her name is Alison Parker, 
she's in a relationship with Chris Sarandon. He's like this uh, kind of New York lawyer. Uh, and they have been living together. But Allison wants to have some more independence in her life. She's apartment hunting. And she moves into this kind of Brooklyn brownstone uh, that is kind of this quieter part of town. She, the, the only person that's flagged as living there to her by the estate agent is this kind of uh, reclusive priest who lives in the attic and is blind and just spends all of his time just looking at the window. And Alison's like, but what is he looking at? <laughs> Uh, as she she comes to meet kind of the eccentric people that live in the building, and we start to learn more about Allison's own past and her relationship with with Chris Sarandon's character. Um, and there's 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 ghosts afoot. <laughs> there's religious <laughs> conspiracies transpiring, and there's a cat's birthday party. So <laughs> it's a it's a strange film, but it's it's definitely a fun one as well. Yeah, I had, I'd heard of this film because it appears on a few of like a hundred scariest moments um, in horror lists that you see. Um, so I'd heard of it, but I'd never gotten around to seeing it. And I was watching it. I actually watched it this morning just as I woke up, which maybe not have been the best option because I was just a bit <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's typical 70s horror. It's very much like, um, kind of if Rosemary's Baby mixed with perhaps The Exorcist or, you know, anything along those lines. It's very typically 70s. Let's bring horror into the abode. Um, yes, yeah. are, are you a fan of The Sentinel? Like, I, I want to know your opinion on it um, because it's a very interesting film, I think. it's It's not great. It's not a great film, but it's definitely an interesting one. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm a fan of it, <laughs> but I definitely think it kind of grabs my my curiosity. Yeah, I think that the there are implications in in the, in the story that this is telling that 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 really kind of make me raise my eyebrow and go, "Are they really saying what I what I think they're saying?" <laughs> um, and but. It is also very, it's very traditional 70s horror in the, because we think of those, those kind of greats and how uh, compelling and how unnerving they are. Mm. Uh, but what I kind of thought was interesting about the Sentinels is kind of it's a median, it's a median level uh, 70s horror. It is very much of that style, but not as good. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not outright terrible, but when you feel like these kind of long stretches of time, where nothing is happening (laughs) you're kind of like oh okay this is a less well-made version of what was in vogue at the time and then something will jump out at you and you're like "Ah!" yeah Uh, then you're like okay maybe this movie does have something and i think it does have something it's just whether i'm comfortable with that (laughs) it's another matter i think it's an interesting movie i don't know it's a good movie and i don't know that it's a movie that i would recommend as such because what it's what it's what's gonna say i don't know if i agree with at all you know yeah Sorry, i'm just gonna have my cat out she's looking yeah go on <laughs> i've not had a birthday for my cat yet but yeah, well, my cat's birthday is june so 
I, I do love that bit. I feel like because it really stoked my curiosity, the cat birthday party, yeah. I think that that did deliver on, yeah. on, on what it prompts because it's unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> like, and unconsciously fact, so. The fact that the cat's called Jezebel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which again, if, if the people are listening and are wondering, what do, I, what do I mean by what this movie has to say and, and, and point of view and stuff like that? References to Jezebels and things yeah. like this are possibly uh, indicative <laughs> of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got Alison, who is like, I mean, super successful fashion model. She's been on like every magazine cover ever. Um, and she moves into this brownstone and we soon, pretty early on, we learn about her history as a schoolgirl that she walked in on her dad having this weird hedonistic orgy a threesome and then he like attacks it was so weird i was like this is the kind of stuff that would give me trauma just watching it what the hell is going on it's so weird so it sets her up as this and then because she sees this she attempts suicide and she's attempted suicide quite a few times so it sets her up as this really troubled character who then begins to you know she meets all these people in her building and when she you know, complains about it to the Latin uh, agent, the Latin agent who's played by Ava Gardner, like yeah, classic yeah. Hollywood actress, is like, wow, there hasn't been people here in nearly 30 years. Um, and she's kind of gaslit and made to kind of go go a little bit loopy. And I think my problem with Alison was I just couldn't quite get behind her. I was just a bit like, is your backstory believable? No. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's one of those things that really marks this as a film of its time. Mm. Because I think if you were to make a film like this today, we would be a lot more grounded in Alison's perspective and have a lot more of a sense of who she is and, mm. and where she's at with, with some of the backstory that's happening around her. And I think that that would kind of pay off in terms of what we see happening at the end, or at the very least, it would it would be more meaningfully connected to that. Yeah. Whereas the Sentinel kind of presents Allison, and it's very clear that she's the character that we're we're following around. She's our point of view character, and then as soon as stuff starts happening to her, it's basically from the moment that we get that classic ghost story, like. Mm from Ava Gardner and she like Ava Gardner is a veteran at this point she's a great actress she she knows what she, what she needs to do for this line delivery and she nails that like why there hasn't been anyone living in that building except for the priest for hundreds of years <laughs> you're like oh okay it's one of these kinds of ghost stories you know but basically from the moment that Allison is aware that there's something supernatural going on we lose Alison as as our point of view character. She she has you know she has that kind of classic damsel in distress fainting couch thing going on. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of wandering in the background of Chris Arendon's apartment, being like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> and like he starts investigating into things, and there's kind of a detour with with seventies New York cops and, and and this kind of thing, which. It's not out of nowhere. It's not got nothing to, to do with anything because the, these cops who are Eli Wallach, another classic Hollywood actor, 
and Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> this is mad. I'm pretty fan of Christopher Walken. They are very suspicious of Chris Sarandon because of the circumstances around uh, the death of his wife, the overlap between him and his wife being together and him getting with Allison is is kind of left very blurry by the story for a lot of, for a lot of the runtime. They're suspicious of him. They're investigating who well, who's in this apartment and body bad and like there's priests running around. Allison is seeing Latin everywhere and Chris Sarandon is and and again this is quite in vogue for for like movies like The Omen. Mm-hmm. Like people remember kind of the big scares in that movie but there's a lot of investigating yeah the 70s was the decade for movies are about investigating things <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah like every every spy thriller has that and you go in and you expect it but like every 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 horror movie also has to have and i think that's you still get a lot of that now particularly in ghost stories you know you got to go yeah. to the library and, and look things up and, and stuff like that but it's not allison doing it it's chris Sarandon who's playing this like kind of smug, detached, mm. sleazy lawyer character. Um, and because of the way that it puts Alison in the background and because of the way that it addresses her trauma and her experiences, I, it doesn't feel like it's... It doesn't feel like the movie's on board with Alison either. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a big issue. Yeah. I, and again, I think if this movie were made today, it would really, possibly overly so, but it would it would front load that trauma and, yeah. and kind of really work through her thoughts and feelings about it and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I am always like, oh, I'm not a big fan of remakes, blah blah blah. But I I think the Sentinel, I think I would like to see a remake, just to kind of redo its mistakes and its lack of kind of allison um i think it would make for a very interesting remake Um, yeah yeah that's what i thought the first time i watched it as well because like you so allison when she's she's like she goes to catholic school she's as a girl she comes home she sees her dad having this weird orgy thing (laughs) he he attacks her as you say and 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 everything that kind of fall, fall, follows through from that is traumatizing for her, but it also seemingly leads her to kind of push away her, her uh, Catholicism, you know, and this movie, what's going on in the old brownstone, essentially. I don't I don't want to jump right to the ending or anything, yeah. but the reason that there's a, uh, the only occupant in the building is this, this blind priest who's looking out over New York all the time is because this old brownstone is a is a gateway to hell. <laughs> you know, New York City. I mean, New York City in the seventies probably was <laughs> as close to hell as, as you were going to get. But um, the 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 Catholic Church has this line of of guardians to the gate of hell that is in New York that goes back to angel times <laughs> it's like you're talking about gabriel and some other angel and it's gabriel like from, Uriel, yeah from, from there the angel started outsourcing it to freshly dead human beings <laughs> um but so all these like previous occupants of the building all these people that uh allison is seeing as ghosts the annoying 
occupants of her building. And like we've all been there. We've all had uh, annoying neighbors in our apartments. Uh they're all sinners of <laughs> one kind or another. And because um Allison's uh suicide attempts previously uh, and because of her Catholicism and stuff like that, it's like she's marked for damnation or sentinelhood. <laughs> she, it's essentially she's going to be the next sentinel, uh, and the demons and the the ghouls and goblins and ghosts of this apartment building are trying to cut that line, mm-hmm. gaslight her into uh in, in into death by suicide. I, I, uh, so that there is going to be no sentinel, so that they can l- run loose, I guess, and, and escape the apartment and, and invade New York City. <laughs> but see, this is, I suppose, what we mean by the kind of the the this 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 I suppose kind of conservative Catholic point of view kind of running through the film. Um, in terms, because you know you've got you've got clergyman kind of running around in the background of this film being very mysterious and kind of uh threatening looking and they're kind of lurking in the backgrounds of shots and and they're they've they've got all these files on allison that chris Sarandon finds and it's like why do they know better and all this kind of stuff but the movie's like no no they're the good guys though they're like they're they're right they're gonna go in hell like they're, they're just being professional it's a very thorough job interview process <laughs> that you know, and the movie, I don't, I wouldn't say that it comes down on like, it's just got that very kind of cold clinical way of looking at uh, Alison's mental health and her traumas and stuff like that, that you wouldn't see now. Yeah. And again, because it pushes her into the background, it is hard not to see the movie as being more condemnatory about those things than not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not yeah. about my dad did this and how do I feel about that? It's well this is about what you did. Yeah. You know, and and the implications of you must choose to be a servant of the Lord at the gate of hell forevermore or face eternal damnation. The optics aren't great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean I guess obviously we're both Irish been brought up in an Irish Catholic society. And so for me when I was watching this film, it was really difficult not to see the Catholic Church as the problem and like as bad as the perceived baddies were that they are taking these people and being like well you've attempted suicide so now you've got to like pay for your sins and become a a guardian of the gates of hell and you were a terrible person because you did that um and also yeah i just i just found it just as bad and it was almost like who was who is the baddie here and who are the good guys because it seems like nobody and even in the way that you know when she's talking to Ava Gardner's character and she's like and the lesbians as if like it's such a terrible thing to have lesbians as your downstairs neighbor and it was just there's just so many things that yeah it just I like I get they were trying to make the Catholics the good guys, but I was just kind of like, oh no, <laughs> not at it's, all. <laughs> it's where like dots that you it's, as you're watching it, you're starting to connect dots in your own head, and that's what kind of makes you go, oh, I'm not sure about this movie because okay, she she encounters this older lesbian and the, her like silent partner who's Beverly D'Angelo from <laughs> the Vacation movies, which is gas, um and 
she's getting to know her neighbors and she's having coffee with them and like Beverly D'Angelo starts masturbating in front of her and she's she's shocked to find out that they're yeah. I think she's more shocked to find out that they're lesbians than she is to have someone masturbate in front of her, which again is, is quite telling. She runs off and you're like, Okay. She has had this traumatic experience mm. that led to physical violence and led to her trying to take her own life in relation to sexuality. Mm. She's kind of pivoted from that into being a model where she's not overly sexualized. There's never any of those kind of sleazy kind of things that you might have yeah. seen in a movie at this time about models, but it's about her using her her body and her beauty and, and, and all that kind of thing. And she's in this relationship with Chris Randon that kind of leaped off from infidelity and and she's trying to get that to a point uh she's she's i think she's unsure of what she where, where she's going with that because he's steering it towards marriage she is in love with him but she wants to i mean it's the inciting incident she wants her own apartment yeah. she wants space she wants to kind of feel more grounded herself um and you can you can kind of see okay this response to these 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 lesbians <laughs> uh, in the apartment underneath her, you're like, okay, I understand why this character is having that reaction. Mm. The difficulty is then as she is pushed into the background and as what we're bringing into the foreground is these New York cops bringing up the file and being like, these lesbians was murderers. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're evil. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and like everyone in the building is like this this horrible horrible murder so it's like by association it's like regardless of if they weren't murderers they would still deserve to be in the yeah. pits of hell it's not it's not very nice and like her neighbor the eccentric old man that's kind of going around he's he's got a budgie and he's got the cat a jezebel the cat adorable the obvious evil cat and it's it's just funny because as 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 much as we know about him, and, and in contrast to Allison's experience of those characters, she's talking to Ava Gardner and it's just like he's just annoying. He's just always around in my business and he's overly friendly. And it's like I get it. <laughs> but I'm I'm not quite sure does he deserve to be condemned to hell <laughs> forever for that. And then he kind of when the movie kind of goes full gonzo at the end, it's like he's the kind of the ringleader of all these mm. these these ghosts and ghouls and, and, and demons and it's like it that's one of the things that did work i i liked that performance and when it does kind of go a bit mad it does start kind of hooking you in more but i think that's what's frustrating about it and that is what makes you go oh i would be interested in seeing this remade because there are elements of it that work it's just i don't know that the perspective works and yeah. i also don't know if um if winner the director he, he doesn't seem comfortable with horror as a genre so there's mm. there's this kind of uncertainty kind of permeating through it that kind of drags it down a bit as well yeah so i just want to talk about the last scene before we move on um i was reading that so all these supposed demons and ghouls come out and you know that are crowding allison whatever and the priest has to come through and fight them so these people were actually people with disabilities and you know facial deformities as well as sideshow workers um 
I want to know what you think about the use of these people and kind of depicting them as demons and ghouls and whether you think that, you know, retrospectively and, and looking back with our modern eyes, that that was a pretty shitty thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and this is an issue that I've had in more recent times too, and it's um, I've had this issue with, I, I think it's something that, that horror or, or some horrors can lean on, which is the the use of physical disabilities or physical deformities as a shorthand for horrifying imagery. Yeah. Um. And I think that, uh, and like L, uh, age as well. And and I, I think there's one modern director that I thought of a lot both times I watched this movie, and that's Ari Aster. Yeah. Who kind of leans into this this frequently the kind of the horror of the body and and the 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 the, the psychological impact of of seeing these kinds of things in front of you and that doesn't sit right with me personally i don't think that that is, is something that impacts everybody the same but then it's funny when you do see an older version of it where it's even less well handled yeah it kind of brings that that home for you and it's on the one hand it's like i do think that you know performers that 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 have physical disabilities or different things like this uh deserve an avenue to perform as well um i think what's what's the actor from uh under the skin that's done several other projects um you know I, but this isn't that mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not really comparable it is very much about saying and it, 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 it's 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 the climax of the movie it's ramping things up mm -hmm. it is putting allison in this position of psychologically assaulting her and what's supposed to be happening in text is that they're trying to provoke her to 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 suicide uh, with all this imagery, which includes like the the corpse of her dad and and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it is affecting. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know that it's especially ethical, no. Yeah. Um, it 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 is you can you can accomplish that same thing without mm -hmm. doing it in that way. And it's also, particularly galling in that in comparison to the other characters that we see in the apartment all of these this just comes out of nowhere really mm. um and you know even in that climax we see you know bev and <laughs> lady friend we, yeah. th there's effective horror imagery used with the yeah. characters that we've already seen so this is excessive and and yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something that you very much look at all the modern lens and go that shouldn't really be there yeah it's kind of leaning into this kind of i mean as well with the the lesbian couple it's you know queer as monstrous disability as monstrous um which is all things that you know we kind of hope that we've come further unfortunately probably not <laughs> with a lot and of it, things it, yeah well i think we have to an extent but it's uh, mm. it's particularly here where it's contrasted with the virginal beautiful yeah. rightfully guilty rightfully ashamed yeah. <laughs> like who then takes up the dutiful mantle of you know yeah looking out at new york as a <laughs> nun for the rest of her <laughs> rest of her days and again it's like you can have a bleak ending in a horror movie and, mm. and, and all that, but I think this movie feels like it's landing on the side of, you know, the, the evils will endure, but so too will the, the righteous 
interns <laughs> the KFL. <laughs> yeah. Um, so would you recommend this to horror fans? I think that it is worth seeking out because I think that it is an interesting context contrast to the actual classics of the day. Mm-hmm. However, we only have so many errors on this earth. <laughs> and if you haven't seen, you know, The Omen, or if you haven't seen uh, movies like that, I'd say you go watch them because they're good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't be like going out and recommending it to everybody being like, you've got to see this film, Sentinel. But if someone was like, oh, I like 70s horror, blah, 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 I'd be like, um but yeah i mean i will give it there's that one moment where she is investigating the upstairs downstairs apartment and you've got her straight on and then you see the shadow in the back of her dad yes yeah that was effective i'm gonna give it that that was and i haven't seen i think it's like bravo's 100 scariest moments i haven't seen that but i can only assume that was the scene that was in that um and that was effective but i think the frustration that i I think if you look at the kind of horror movies or the kind of movies in general that were getting put out in the 70s what's frustrating about this is that it's got the feel of a giallo you know Mm. this this woman kind of wandering around this haunted place but it's directed by an american 70s director that wants to be making a movie about an affair yeah even the way that the two characters talk to each other it's that very classic like yeah when are we going to get married? Oh, Jonathan, nothing's your affair. I can't trust you. I just need my own space, Jonathan. There's lesbians. It's very <laughs> that kind of movie. Yeah. And you're like, I'd rather be watching the bonkers horror. <laughs> so it's it's frustrating. Is the main thing I'd say about it. Okay, let's move on then to my choice of film. So I went. A little bit more recent. Um, well, it's been out nearly 10 years. Jesus. Um, time flies. Um, so I went with Last Shift from 2014. Do we really have to do this now? I'm, I'm literally about to start my first shifts. Anybody in here? You are the lucky rookie to work the very last shift in this mausoleum. All 911 calls have been rerouted to the new station, so it should be quiet. Sanford Police Department. destroy your own um which is directed by anthony de blasi um and it centers on a rookie police officer jessica who on her first assignment she is made to look after the last shift at a police station that is being closed 
um she's told by the the other cop there that's kind of settling in that there will be people coming in to move some hazardous material but other than that she's pretty much on her own all the calls are being rerouted to the the new police station she's really just got to hang out make sure nothing goes wrong um few things obviously start happening uh she starts getting phone calls from this woman who says she has been captured by a cult um but when she kind of gets in touch with the other police officers in the other station they're like no all the cores are getting rerouted here um you know that's not happening and then she encounters a homeless man who comes in and like urinates all over the floor and then she catches him throwing stuff in the storage room so she puts him in the the jail cell and she starts experiencing these ghosts that seem to be part of a cult um and yeah really really horrifying images and yeah it's basically about her being haunted for the night um so what did you think of last shift what i liked about last shift is how it functions as a very classic ghost story mm. do you know what i mean it's like yeah. you could imagine this being told around the campfire kind of thing like oh yeah. this person this, this girl it was her it was her first shift yeah at this place and it's closing and the kind of the kinds of twists and turns that happen in it mm. and the way that it is set in this one location and mostly with this one character yeah really fits that kind of classic ghost story style and those as i was saying earlier those stories endure for a reason they they are entertaining and they do spark your curiosity and that's what i really liked about it is the way that um it kind of just follows this one character through essentially a haunted house mm. experience and it's like i like haunt- who doesn't love a haunted house yeah <laughs> you know? yeah um, so yeah i really liked it for that you know yeah I, I really enjoy this film. Um, I love just the out-and-out out horror aspect of it. It's not too convoluted with story. Um, it's got a very straightforward of, like, there was this cult and they killed people and they brought them into the police station and then they killed a load of police officers and it turns out her dad was one of those police officers, which kind of makes me confused because I'm like, if her dad was one of those police officers, why didn't she already know about this cult? Um, but that's one of those like storylines where you're just like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I really like it for its imagery. I find its imagery really striking as well. So we've got like the pillowcases over the head and they're all bloody. And then we've got like the sharp razor teeth. And yeah, I just think it's, it's really creepy. And obviously the, the cult, one of the cult leaders is called um, Pay- Michael Payman, John Michael Payman. Um, so obviously that relates back to the demon Paymon, which we've seen in Hereditary. Um, so what did you think about the cult imagery? And do you think it worked well in relation with like ghost stories? I do because, you know, and again, to have that kind of classic ghost story, like the hook hand, you know, or those, those kinds of those versions of the stories, mm-hmm. it doesn't just kind of go, oh, there's a cult running around, you know, because I think it would have been very easy to have this set up and then just have cult mem like the you know the kind of horror the home invasion style of horror movie mm. it, it would have been very easy to use this setup and tell that which we've we've seen a lot over the last kind of decade and 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 it can be a bit rote and stuff like that mm-hmm. but the the elements of this like the recurring phone calls mm. that that she gets uh these like distress calls 
uh, and then she's trying to reroute them to 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 the main active police station and then they're saying the lines are cut they they shouldn't you shouldn't be getting these calls and uh like the the gradual release of information where we get more information about the cult and we get more information about her dad and all these kinds of things uh it it kind of sets you on the rails in a good way again like a, like like a haunted house because again like as you say you hear that name Paymon and <laughs> if you've seen enough horror movies you're like oh, okay <laughs> probably not going to be a nice guy <laughs> probably not misunderstood <laughs> but you're kind of you're 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 on the ride for the next bit of information that it's going to dull out to you Mm-hmm. And it manages to do that in a way that flows very naturally. It's never throwing mm-hmm. too much at you all at once. It's never throwing so much information at you before giving you a scare. And mm-hmm. the scares are very much related to imagery. And it's making good use of that space. Like the mm-hmm. place is dark. So mm-hmm. she has to go around with the flashlight. She's going around with the flashlight. If she drops the flashlight, then you as a viewer start to go, some scary is about to happen. Yeah. Oh no, my inner coward starts coming out, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna look at the side of the screen. <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, it, it it makes this kind of very fun, uh, kind of use of of horror imagery that is familiar without being, you know, kind of oh, I know exactly what's about to happen before it happens. Mm. I think yeah. the the scene with the the younger cop that comes in to check on her. Uh, kind of halfway through the film is a very good illustration of what this movie does well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one question that kind of sparked my interest on my rewatch of this. So the cult that is involved, it's very Manson-like. You know, we've got like a a male figure who is followed by these devoted female figures. Um, so it does kind of mirror Manson, Charles Manson. Do you think that by portraying these sort of Manson-esque cults as demonic, as supernatural, that that takes away from, like, the true horrors of, like, these type of people and that assigning demonic and supernatural effects on them is kind of, in a way, idolising them and saying, like, they're not human, they're demons, where in reality we're looking at them as humans, if that makes any sense. That was, my ADHD brain. that was my ADHD <laughs> brain just pooping there, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I totally get you what you mean, because I think this is part of the, the when you look at the whole genre of like true crime stuff and, and uh, you know, the way people look at kind of serial killers or high profile cases like this, there is this real inclination to mythologize. Mm. That's uh, the, that's what I wanted to say. Mythologize yeah, yeah, yeah. And idolize, the, yeah. The well, uh, uh, idolatry definitely comes into it as well mm. because I think, and I think Charles Manson is a great example of that. Because when you portray someone like that as this enigmatic, mm. super clever, manipulative, almost supernatural kind of force, you exaggerate what he actually was, yeah. <laughs> and 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 I, and I think. The, the season of You Must Remember This, which is a fantastic movie podcast uh, that, that looked at the Manson family uh, mm-hmm. primarily, had a really great way of illustrating what made someone like Charles Manson a compelling figure, mm-hmm. but 
but by be, but by maintaining an honesty about what he actually was, which was a dirtbag uh, yeah. who who abused very vulnerable women, mm-hmm. um, and and as well when you kind of make it that kind of this, this guy's an, an, an almost supernatural thrall over these women, mm-hmm. you also take agency away from them as well, and I don't mean that in a kind of like. The man's and girls had girl play, <laughs> but you also like the the the. I think with 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 cults, you kind of don't look at the people that join those as having an agency, and then you don't interrogate what makes them join mm-hmm. a cult and stay in a cult and yeah. recruit other people into a cult. And mm-hmm. I think when you're not looking at those kind of things with an open eye, that can be that can be challenging. I think yeah. what was really fascinating when I was looking at Manson uh, after after listening to, to You Must Remember This is how so much of these kind of manipulative techniques that he would have used that are sometimes mythologized as this almost supernatural thrall mm-hmm. were things that he picked up from uh, like pimps when he was in prison. Okay. <laughs> um, th- this kind of way of getting women around you and, and, and manipulating them through violence and and, mm. and and again it's like it's this isn't like some sort of christ-like genius this is a, a horrible person who did horrible yeah. things to people uh, before anyone even got murdered you know mm. uh i understand why it's very rich heart imagery yeah so, like I, and, and i think in a movie like this um i think because it really sets up the I keep using the word trauma, but like the 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 backstory that Jessica, the 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 kind of rookie cop, mm. uh, has gone through, it's it it ties into her. This is it it does what the Sentinel doesn't do essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is it it ties what's currently going on and what's currently haunting this character with her mm-hmm. own past in a way yeah. that that compels you to to kind of learn more and compels you to kind of go what where is this going and what is the connection and and, and all that kind mm. of thing. Yeah, so it's, it, def- that, it, it, it it's an interesting yeah yeah to see it done properly. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say it definitely touches on perhaps almost like the cyclical nature of trauma. You know, passing from like a father to a daughter because obviously her father was a police officer. Now she is, and she's still holding on to losing her father. But there's also this feeling that's a bit kind of Japanese ghost story that when a place, you know, like a building experiences massive trauma it holds on to that trauma and it absorbs it and it's not so much the ghosts of people it's the ghosts and the 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 residue of that trauma within that building and that's something that I really got from last shift was that kind of almost Japanese grudge style ghost story a hundred percent I think if this wasn't presented as all taking place over one night, like if we were mm. seeing Jessica at home or meeting with her mom and asking for more information mm. about her dad or it, even interacting with more cops and yeah. stuff like that, other than the, the, the ghost one that she encounters, uh, it really would have taken away from it a lot. It is mm. that like, because it, it's her first time in the building. Yeah. You know? and And yeah, I think that, this going into this building where something bad happened something bad has happened to you mm-hmm. and that kind of the way that that sparks things off 
I think is what makes this a really effectively told story. And again, contrasting to the Sentinel where you're kind of watching it and going, this should be remade because this isn't being done well. Mm. I think what's interesting about this is the way that, you know, the director has quite recently mm. remade it, but it, it's kind of more of a, I actually haven't seen the the, the remake. No, I haven't seen it yet. It, it strikes me as more of an effort to refine what's done mm. in here rather than fix it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um. So what do you think of the ending then? So the ending comes around and it turns out she's trying to shoot all the cult members, but it turns out it's actually the hazmat team that have come in to move um, hazardous material in the evidence locker and she is shot by the the first police officer that brought her into the station um what did you think of that ending i see as i said when i was a kid i, I didn't want to watch horror movies because i was like i don't want to see anything bad happen to people and it was like it was it kind of gets reinforced because you kind of i don't know if you're a reads a wikipedia summary of a horror movie to get out of having to watch it kind of person but you kind of that kind of twist ending where it's like the character thinks that everything's going to be fine and actually it's not is is common enough in horror mm-hmm. but this is an example of it working well yeah i think um i think that again having that kind of ghost story this is what kind of makes it all tied together at the end this is mm-hmm. the kind of ending that you want where it's like yeah. it would have been very flat if it was just she escapes from yeah the haunted house whereas when you present this character and go she's become a, a police officer because her dad was a police officer mm-hmm. something really bad happens to to her dad in contrast to uh, the kind of troubling implications of the, of the of the previous movie this kind of without explicitly doing it kind of asks it, it kind of poses the question i suppose mm-hmm. should a person like this become a police officer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feels like they got other things to work out before they they go into this particular field and it it brings its own story full circle in a really satisfying way you know Mm -hmm. she shows up for her first day it seems like there's something off about this place the guy is kind of hostile to her the the the, the previous cop and having the rug pulled under out from under her in this way at the very end it's it's a great payoff to the ghost story that they've they've been telling um and yeah, it kind of has that like uh, that the building is not going to get any less cursed from here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of the worst off now. Uh, so it kind of it, it carries that kind of yeah. The the building itself is is kind of cursed and is kind of carrying the the grudge <laughs> forward yeah. from from Jessica's experiences, from her dad's experiences, yeah, stuff like that. So it's it's a great payoff. I I thought it worked really well. Mm, yeah. Um, so would you recommend Last Shift to horror fans? Yeah, definitely. Like I, th- I think that this is a really great, like straightforward isn't the right word, but a really effective uh, uh, edition of that kind of ghost story. Um, and I think it is, it's a fun watch. It kind of, it kind of, it it, it is effectively scary, but it's not too heavy or too you know daunting uh uh, a watch i think considering that it's been remade recently again i haven't seen that film yet but i i i would say oh yeah well all if if you've seen that or if you're thinking of seeing that definitely see this as well because this is 
already a, a, a well a well done version of of what it's doing do you know mm, so yeah I, yeah I would recommend it yeah yeah I definitely would I I think it's a really good horror film a really good ghost story it's like you said it's not too heavy I mean it does talk about grief and trauma but it's not to the point where it's like Ari Aster style where you know you come away and you're like I don't want to talk to anyone for a while um it's very like it's it's just a good film to kind of put on if you're in the mood for like a, a good old-fashioned horror um I really like the imagery I like the special effects the practical effects makeup in this I yeah I really enjoyed it and it's definitely one that I'd like I've seen it three times now and I definitely probably would pop it on again as well you know at some point if I just wanted that sort of horror film um so yeah I definitely would recommend it as well um so out of the two films then if you had to pick one which one would you pick over the other i think i would pick last shift i think mm -hmm. that there are little things in the sentinel that very much appeal to me uh the the kind of gonzo nature of some of the scares a cat has a birthday party <laughs> that's very cute uh but like yeah as you're saying this is a very watchable film and i think if you can imagine like Saying, I can't imagine saying to somebody else, "Here, come on, we put on the Sentinel and we'll, and we'll watch it," because <laughs> they're just going to look at you then and be like, what? "What? What is this that you're showing me?" Whereas you put it on the last shift, and people, especially our fans, are like, "Oh, okay, this this, yeah. this works for me. This is good. I, I I I I can imagine enjoying this with somebody else. I can't imagine me watching the Sentinel with another human being at the same time <laughs> uh, without them." questioning me and my life choices <laughs> yeah i definitely go for last shift as well um not that i wasn't intrigued by the sentinel but like you said i think if it came down to like what would i recommend over the other it would definitely be last shift um so thank you so much then for coming on and chatting about ghost horror films with me um before we go i was asked my guests what is your favorite horror film i think i was thinking about this i think my favorite horror film is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nice. I think when I went into that period of, yeah, like kind of really tracking down the classics and, and seeing, you're kind of seeing what you like when you do that as well. Yeah. You're kind of trying on all the all the big classics to kind of see what, what elements of them you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And the just the unhinged, awful atmosphere of, yeah. of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the way yeah. that it plays out like this horrifying nightmare really kind of set a very high bar for, yes. for what horror is because you know it's got it's got a very it's so much not what you're expecting the first time you watch it yeah and it remains effective every time that you do watch it mm -hmm. so i think that's why it, it's it's definitely my favorite yeah i texas chainsaw massacre is the film i always put on when i come home from a, a night out and i just want to put something on tv and i always put texas chainsaw massacre on for some reason it's my drunken comfort film <laughs> well it's got a very comforting ending you know it's got a very cathartic ending. Yeah. <laughs> you hold on you kind of know that that's going and you're like yeah exactly yeah um so where can people find you on social media so people can find me personally on twitter way too often uh, i'm at <laughs> mr cynical that's cynical with an i it's in cinema it seemed funny at the time uh <laughs> And you can also find me writing on filmindublin.ie. So that was my chat there with Luke Dunn about ghosts in horror. And we talked about 1977's The Sentinel, as well as 2014's Last Shift. 
And I've now seen the recent remake of Last Shift. It's called Malum. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as I do the original, but it's still good. Um, still enjoyable-ish. Um, yeah, so let, let me know what you think about the remake or just this episode in general. Um, let me know on Twitter at what underscore screen. Um, as well as Instagram at What a Scream and TikTok at What a Scream Podcast, where I've recently been doing a video series about the origins of Halloween and the ancient festival of Samhain. Um, so this episode is going out Thursday, 26th of October, but on Friday, the 27th of October, I will be in London to present a night of Irish horror with Ghouls Magazine at True Romance London. Um, and I will be presenting the short film Changeling, um, which is um, Oscarga, which is the Irish language, um, and done by Je suis Le Cat Productions. And then the, the this will be preceded by Lee Cronin's The Hole in the Ground, um, which will actually have an introduction by video uh, from Lee Cronin himself. So if you're around, do come along. Um, head up to the Ghouls Magazine website and get tickets. It's going to be so much fun. It starts at nine o'clock. You can come and get pizza and cocktails and watch some really good Irish horror films. And then um, there will be a panel talk afterwards with me and Zoe from Ghouls Magazine about Irish horror. So do come along if you're around. Um, so I hope everyone is enjoying spooky season. And as always, stay horrific. Goodbye.